Well, this morning we're in the prologue to John's Gospel, and I I thought about preaching through John's Gospel, and then as I worked so hard on preparing the sermon, my wife says, did you read your email? I said, what? Well, Ferd is doing a Bible study at his house through John's Gospel, and then Scott is doing a Bible study on John's Gospel, so you might want to rethink that. Uh, But I have to correct what these guys have been saying, you know, so... um, it's likely after this morning I had a gentleman come up to me rather forcefully and demand that I continue preaching through the gospel. So he must have enjoyed the sermon. Uh, I'm counting uh, that one at least. So we may continue through John's gospel. And then in the evening I'm starting a series on backsliding and uh, thought that uh, it basically a, a book that is at least... Um, supposed to be ready by January. I'm going to take portions of the book and do a series on backsliding. So that's the kind of um, fall before us. And so let us turn to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Well, let us ask for God's blessing upon His Word, read and preached. O Lord, please now with these magnificent words that are incredible to us and unbelievable to those who do not know you, for they do not believe. We ask that the majesty and glory of what we have read will be pressed home to our souls, to our minds, to our strength, to our hearts, so that we may love you in that way. Bless us to that end, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. most of us understand that the sign of any good relationship is when communication 
takes place. Now, not all communication is necessarily positive, but generally speaking, in a marriage, a relationship of sorts, things are good when there is communication, when there is uh, one person speaking to another and it's reciprocated. And I think we understand this on many levels, whether those of us who are married or those of us who have children. Uh, Most parents uh, love to speak to their children and hope for it to be reciprocated. In fact, we start the ball rolling at a very early age, do we not, having conversations with our babies, and we say all sorts to them, and we do not expect them to respond with a soliloquy of their own. We simply speak to them because we love them, and usually when the child grows, there is a conversation that returns. There may be a few years in the teenage Uh, days where the conversation isn't as robust, but uh, one of the reasons I rather enjoy driving into church with my daughter is because she speaks to me, uh, and that I trust is a good sign. God is the same way with his creatures. Our relationship with God was tarnished by sin, and you see something of that when Adam hid Immediately after he sinned, he wanted no further communion and conversation with God. And so he hid. And God has to initiate again with Adam. Adam, where are you? Because we know that sin breaks relationships and it stops communication. And so God initiates again. And the rest of the scriptures is basically the idea that God is going to communicate with us and in a very unique way. So when we read John's Gospel, John's Genesis 1, we see that the choice of title for Jesus Christ as the Word is exceedingly important because it is bringing home to us, among other things, the fact that God wishes to speak to us, that God communicates, that God is a relational God. The worst thing that God could do for us, apart from sending us to hell, is to shut his mouth up and not say a word to us. But instead, not only does he speak to us, he speaks to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this gospel, Calvin has said, that whereas the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, reveal Christ's body, John reveals his soul. And there's some truth to that, that you get Christ's soul in this gospel. It's been described by theologians as the gospel where elephants can swim and children can play in the water because it is so deep and yet it also has many basic truths that one can believe unto salvation as a very new Christian. There is, in the first 18 verses, the rest of the Gospel of John explicated. So what you have in the first 18 verses, you will find that the rest of the Gospel is going to basically uh, interpret all of those verses as you go through. But we do have to ask ourselves this question, why did John write this Gospel? Why did he write these words? And he actually gives us the answer in chapter 20. I write these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and by believing in Him you may have life in His name. You 
are to read these words to a particular end, and that is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so the truths he begins with are what I would say are the most important truths you can know about who Jesus Christ is, with that statement that almost all of us, I'm sure, have memorized from John 1.1. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. So when there was a universe, there was a Word. And before there was a universe, there was a Word. But when there was a created universe with a created world, with created human beings, there was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was with God. And that phrase that's used by John, you could perhaps even translate it if you were being a little more poetic. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face-to-face with God. The Word was looking into the eyes of God. If you read the rest of the prologue, you'll see that actually makes a lot of sense. That the Word fully understands God, fully knows God, fully loves God. And this is reciprocated by God to the Word. Now, maybe you're asking yourself this question, why is Jesus called the Word? Apart from the fact that God wishes to communicate, and He does so preeminently through Jesus Christ, His Son, why is He called the Word? And the answer is actually... Uh, quite revealing. Because you have to remember, while you could say, well, I know the Greek word is logos, and maybe he's borrowing from Greek philosophy so that we have this idea of wisdom, the answer is probably a little more simple than that. In the first century, the Jews spoke Aramaic, and the Bible that they had, the Old Testament scriptures, was translated into Aramaic because a lot of them had lost the Hebrew tongue because of going into exile. And so they spoke Aramaic. John spoke Aramaic. And in the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament scriptures, sometimes instead of just saying Yahweh, they would say the word of the Lord instead of saying the Lord. So the creative power of the word of the Lord, the salvation of the word of the Lord, not just the Lord. And that Aramaic word memra would have been a word that John had grown up hearing time and time again. So when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he is taking a concept well known to first century Jews of the Word of the Lord, the speech of the Lord, the communication of the Lord, and it's actually from the Hebrew Scriptures rather than the Greek philosophers. Interestingly, the Greek philosophers, there's a quote somewhere where they said, this barbarian, speaking of John, has comprised more stupendous stuff in this prologue than we have done in all of our voluminous discourses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face to face with God, and the Word was God. And that's the goal of our confession. Just like Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28, he says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and the Word, my Lord and my Yahweh, my Lord and my Jehovah. That is what John is saying. 
And this word was with God. And so Jesus later in John's prayer, in John chapter 17, verse 5, prays, Father, glorify me in your presence. Not for the first time, but glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. In other words, when the word was face to face with God, he was glorified in the presence of God. Now, so far, so good. The Son of God is the Word of God, and He has always been in the face of God and understood God. But then notice that He doesn't simply remain in the face of God. There is, in verse 3, a very important New Testament point especially. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So not only John saying that the whole world is created through Christ and by Christ and therefore will testify of Christ, but Paul will say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, something quite similar. He will say, all things were created by him, but also all things were created for him. If everything was created through Christ, there's a reason for that. And that is, everything was created for Christ. You were brought into this world for Christ. This building is for Christ. This world in which we live, every atom, every molecule, every drop of water, every bit of rain and wind and snow and dust and hail, every person, whether black or white, whether speaking English or speaking Portuguese, everyone in every place, at any time, and anything, whether animate or inanimate, is for Jesus Christ and was created through Christ everything because He is God. And Augustine has this phrase, Se Christus non Deus non bonus. And that really is a very simple Latin phrase that you could probably guess. If Christ is not God, if Christ is not God, then He is not good. If He is God, and He is, then He must be good. And so, through Christ, through the Son of God, very God of very God, was everything created and for Christ. And the author of Hebrews opens up in the exact same way. But in these last days, he has spoken in his Son, who is the Word, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God created the world through Christ and for Christ. John says that, and so does Paul, and so does the author of Hebrews. Now, in verse 4, it's a little bit of a tricky verse that has complicated matters for commentators through the ages. But in this verse, he says, In him was life, that is, in the word there was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I take this life to be the life of all human beings, that the reason that you exist is because Christ has given you life, that He is the source of all life, that we are all made in the image of God, so that everyone at every place, whoever they may be, is actually made in the image of God, and that image of God is principally the image of Christ, which sin has defaced. 
And if there is any hope for anyone who has been made in such an image, they must have the light of redemption, not just the life of creation. And so John might be being subtle here by saying, Jesus is the life of all people. But all people who have this life, who are made in God's image, who are the crowning points of God's creation, they must have light beamed into their soul that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, if that is indeed the case, you will see that this light shines in the darkness. So it is a moral issue. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That the light comes into the world, and the world in John is the place of darkness and rebellion against God, but the world doesn't win. The world does its best in all of its darkness, in all of its rebellion, in all of its hatred, but ultimately the light wins. And so at Golgotha, darkness comes over the land, and it appears as though Satan has won. It appears as though darkness has won, but then there's the dawn of the resurrection on the Lord's day, and the light overcomes the darkness. Now there's a witness. And in John's gospel, witness occurs, I think, about six times more than any other gospel. And what you find is that John's gospel is all about witness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John's greatest designation in his ministry whereby he died for the sake of Christ is simply this. He was a witness to Jesus Christ and not himself. He was concerned for the glory of Christ and not his own. He was a witness. And in John's Gospel, you have Jesus himself as a witness. The disciples are a witness. The Father is a witness. The Holy Spirit is a witness. His miracles are a witness. And the Word of God is a witness. Everything witnesses to Christ. So you must make a decision. Will your life actually be a witness to Jesus Christ? Or will Will you witness to someone or something else? And you better be sure that whatever you're witnessing to, they're going to reward you according to what they are able to offer you. You witness to your favorite sports team. Then you need to be happy with what that sports team can offer you. You witness to... Your work, you better be happy then with what your work can offer you. Whatever you witness to, you need to accept that that will be your reward. So it is essential that if you are to witness to the Son of God, you understand who the Son of God is so that you can understand what He is able to offer you as you witness to Him. And that is what John does. And what did Christ offer him? On the one hand, death. He died because he witnessed to Christ. On the other hand, resurrection life, so that John is in glory. Now, there are different decisions because John was a good witness, but in verses 9 to 13, there are different decisions about the Word. So, the true light, which enlightens everyone, which gives everyone a knowledge of God. I take this to be a natural knowledge of God. Every human being, to some degree, has what is called the sensus divinitatis, the sense of God in their soul. Everyone has this. 
was coming into the world, the true light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. See again, this point is emphasized. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is, his own people, the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. The majority of the people in the gospel accounts did not receive Christ. The majority. In John chapter 6, we see this. He feeds the 5,000. They say what? We want to make you our king. Jesus becomes a mega church pastor faster than anyone in recorded history. He must have had a lot of staff, a lot of programs, a lot of things to worry about, a lot of buildings, a lot of kids' programs. But then, fatally, 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 has to say to them, well, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Many said, this is a hard teaching. Who can bear it? And they turned away. Back down to 12. One was a devil. So that he has to ask the 12, are you going to leave me as well? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The one who gave them life, the one who fed them, the one who cured thousands upon thousands, entire villages, they did not receive him. But, you see that word there in verse 12? There's a very famous sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones, but God. Here's another but. Otherwise, this would be eminently depressing. There are those who did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What's the greatest thing that we can say about the Son of God? It's that he is very God of very God. You cannot say anything greater about a person than that he is God. He is the eternal God. He's perfect in all ways and will remain that way. But what is the greatest thing we can say about a human being? It's the greatest thing I can say about you right now. If I were to say something that is the best thing about you, what would you choose for it to be? Imagine me, I had to decide who was the smartest person in this room. I bet a few of you are already thinking, ah, it's probably me. I'm in the top five. Then we get to the best looking in the room and you go, wow, I'm in two categories. What shall I pick? Then we go to most athletic, best dressed, and we continue. What's the greatest thing that we could really say about you? That you are a child of God. And all that that means is the highest privilege of the gospel. That you are a child of God. You know, I just know this by the very fact of how we understand the nearness of a child to their father, for example. In fact, last night my son was bothering me. John, Josh. I don't think I have a son named John. Now, he's, I mustn't be too hard on the lad. He was talking to me, uh, albeit through text. <laughs> uh, 
And you see, I have uh, the high school soccer team that we had tryouts on Thursday and Friday. And one of the grade 12s is uh, texting Josh to find out, can you find out if I made the team? Because the team's being announced on Monday. And you see, isn't that interesting? He knows, I'll give this grade 12 credit. And I don't wish to give many grade 12s credit on this team. Trust me. One sitting here right now. It wasn't Thomas, by the way. Can you find out from your dad if I made the team? And there was a lot of pressure put on me, but I didn't buckle. But you see, it's something interesting about that. This kid knew where to go. He knew who to ask. If I'm going to find out, surely his son will know because his son has all of the privileges of being his son, being able to speak to his father, being able to ask his father anything. So in fact, I might go home today and actually tell him he's on the team because he understood a little bit of how theology should work. <laughs> Braden, if you're listening to the sermon, and you're probably not, you made the team. So did you, Thomas. But the great privilege of the gospel is that you get to have a closer familiarity with God than even a natural son has with his father. Because the difference between God and a natural father is that Jesus will say, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask? That's the great blessing of the gospel. Born not of our own will as though we decided, nor of blood, nor of flesh, but born of God. And that's why Nicodemus should have understood this. You are Israel's teacher and you don't know that you should be born from above? Anophen, born again, same idea. It's almost ambiguous on purpose. Born again, born from above. Children born from above. Now John then lets off a nuclear bomb in verse 14. And this word who is in very nature God, who has seen the face of God, this word who has been from the beginning, the word became flesh. A first century Jew reading this has a spiritual heart attack. Because you could say that everything John has said about the Word up until this point is that the Word is Yahweh. The memory of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, Yahweh, has become flesh. Imagine what that does to a Jewish person who's read Isaiah and understood God and Job as holy other and greater than all and distinct from all and looking down upon all and creating all, sustaining all. And yet this word Yahweh becomes flesh ever to be identified with humanity forever and ever. And this isn't just sort of a philosophical speculation that up in heaven, God is somehow fully man and fully God. No, the Christian faith is saying this God who became flesh did so in historical circumstances so that people could actually witness this. And that is why John moves to that very naturally. And we have seen his glory. He doesn't say this is what we think is happening somewhere. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father. 
Now, what John says here is actually something that every true Christian will be able to say at some point in their life. Not the affirmation of the incarnation, though that is true, but the affirmation that we will see His glory. And in fact, the glory that you will see far outstrips what John was able to see at that point when he wrote this. When John wrote this and the glory that he saw, John saw a veiled glory at that point, And he saw a glory from the perspective of John himself being a sinner. But notice how Jesus is described, full of grace and truth. What will differ between the way in which you see Christ's glory and the way John saw Christ's glory when he wrote this? Here it is. You will be full of grace and truth yourself. So that as you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you will be beholding as one full of grace and truth yourself. And so you will love Him more, appreciate Him more, desire Him more. You will have your eyes fixated upon Him because of who you will be, not only because of who He will be. And so John bears witness about Him. So what do we receive from such a person in verse 16? Remember, if you're going to witness of someone and make that person your priority, what can you receive? And we receive grace upon grace. That is the Christian life. Why would you not want to be a Christian? You receive grace, and then after you've received grace, what do you receive? Grace. And after you receive grace, what else do you receive? Grace. So tomorrow you can wake up and you can say, what will I receive? Grace. And then Tuesday, what will I receive? Grace. And every day of your life, you can actually wake up with the confident assurance, no matter what happens in this world, you will receive grace because you will receive what Christ is able to offer His children. Grace Upon grace. Now verse 18 is the culmination of what began in verse 1. A very beautiful truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He has made Him known. To those in darkness. And those in darkness, those who do not believe in his name, their end is darkness. Bertrand Russell was a famous British atheist philosopher in the 20th century. And I want to read you his words at his death. You could also read the words of Michel Foucault, who had equally horrifying words at his death. I think Michel Foucault said, I thought at my death there would be something to say, but there is nothing to say. Bertrand Russell before his death, there is darkness without, and when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. He's receiving what he served. But to those who believe in the Son of God, 
They are receiving what he alone is able to offer. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, Jesus Christ. He has made him known, and he has welcomed you into the courts of God. There's a very interesting story. I believe it's true. I'm told this is reliable about the queen. As you know, she uh, went to be with the Lord, I believe, uh, Recently, she gave better Christmas messages than most sermons in England, I can assure you. More of the gospel and more of Christ than many Anglican and non-Anglican and any other type of pulpit in England. But there was a story where someone who was visiting uh, uh, the palace wanted to uh, hear, and the guard had a story. And it was an interesting story because... Uh, At the beginning of every legislative session whereby the parliament rules on how to govern the people, there is a beginning whereby the queen comes in to the uh, House of Lords. And as she is walking uh, up the staircase in this stone uh, hallway, there are these guards who walk before her with their swords and they slash the, the stone walls to create sparks as she's walking and they have... Uh, that duty, and she wears her crown and her robe, and as she enters in, she uh, rules so that they're able to start their own ruling of the people. Now, uh, several years ago, because of her deteriorating health, uh, she uh, was no longer able to walk up the staircase, and so what they did was they uh, put her into the lift. Now, the lift is a word for elevator. And uh, it is what you would believe it to be, a lift. And unfortunately, when she was on this lift, the person pressed the wrong button. And as the doors opened, Alice, the cleaning lady, ready with her stuff, comes marching right into the lift and pins the queen up against the wall, lets out an expletive, and then there's an awkward silence. And then the queen starts laughing uncontrollably. And as the story goes, the queen, instead of making Alice get off at her floor where she just got on, invites her to walk in with her into the House of Lords. And then, as tradition would happen, once a year, Alice would be invited to have tea with the queen because of this thing that happened where Alice thought She was merely going into an elevator to do her job. She is in the presence of the queen. And I asked my boys last night, I says, you know, what do you think about that? What privilege to be able to be in the presence of the queen and to be able to speak with her as though she were a friend once a year. And sadly, Alice no longer has that privilege unless, of course, uh, she is invited into Charles' presence, which I do not believe is to be the case. As a child of God, the right you have been given is to be brought into the presence of God with Jesus Christ beside you. Because you are a son of God just as he is a son of God. And you have the right to ask of your father, to speak to your father, and you can be assured that if the father has communicated everything about who he is through Jesus Christ, who is grace upon grace, full of grace and truth, you can be welcomed into the presence of God himself and wish 
and ask of him all that he has lawfully prescribed for you to ask and be assured that he will give you what you ask in his name. That's the glory of the gospel. And that is why you need to believe in Jesus Christ as the word who became flesh. Because there is no other way to enjoy God than through the one who is God, but has also become like his brothers. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for your word and ask that we may not only be aware of who Jesus Christ is, but be aware that there are privileges for those who belong to him. Let us believe and believe unto eternal life so that we may be able to say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. We pray this in his name. Amen.